Three, two, one. We are officially on. Welcome to another episode of the Truly Sure Podcast. Big welcome to everyone who is watching. I hope you all are having a wonderful day so far. The famous Austrian neurologist and psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud considered dream the guardian of sleep. He theorized that there were two purposes to a dream. The first was to prevent disruption during sleep, and the second was to unveil the conscious desires of the mind through the manifestation of the dream. He has a famous quote that says, The interpretation of dreams is the royal road to a knowledge of the unconscious activities of the mind. Today, we're delving into the topic of dreams and going down that royal road to make sense of the phenomenon that is dreaming. My colleague Alex is going to present his research and his findings and his view on the topic first, followed by everyone else. Kick it off, All Alex. Right. Will do, thank you. So to kick off the, our, our discussion of onerology, study of dreaming, since you talked about Freud, it's only appropriate to talk about Freud's wish fulfillment theory, where, albeit there is a little scientific rigor behind it, but it's a way that resonates with a lot of people, in my opinion. So his theory is that repressed desires come out while you're dreaming, as well as the dream is this manifest content of some latent content that is repressed by the mind. Since I think Freud was the one that came up with the repression defense mechanism. So... I was wondering what you guys thought about the wish fulfillment theory. Personally, I think it has some truth to it, potentially. So... An example might be you're dreaming and you see a waterfall and then maybe the latent meaning is like you're sad all the time because it represents tears or something like that. That might be an example of latent meaning from manifest meaning. Right. And I believe it's... Um... A, a, an aspect of that is also that the dream is an attempt by the mind to try to satisfy the desires that you can't uh, satisfy when you're awake. Uh, right. Okay. Do you guys have anything to add to wish fulfillment theory before moving on to some other major theories? Yeah, I think... Um when I was looking up on Freud, he very like specifically mentioned like it's more for like sexual desire. And okay. I, I don't remember what the explanation was, but I believe it's either just like his personal bias because that's him. Like that's from his personal Freud. experience. Yeah. Because like a lot of the think sexual. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Freud. And the other one could be, like, because it's just so repressed, like, in, like, 
normal everyday society. Or at least, especially back then. Okay. All right. Um, with that, we'll move on to another theory. So there's also the activation synthesis theory, which says dreams are just the byproduct of the process of organizing and sorting like the day's memories. There's another one that's kind of similar where it's called the physiological function theory where dreaming promotes neural development and preservation of neural pathways by just continuously stimulating your brain. Like when, um, when you are dreaming, you're in REM sleep and that is considered the brain activity during REM sleep is about as high as when you're wakeful. So something to back that up is babies when they're young, they sleep all the time, right? And most of their time sleeping is actually spent in REM sleep. So that could be, this theory could show why they're almost always in REM sleep. It could be to promote the growth of their brain and their body. Yeah, I remember reading about that, that babies, like, when they're born right they there's so many inputs and things that they're learning every day things that we take for granted now but for them it's like a mind blast literally so by the end of the day they're so mentally exhausted so that's why they need sleep they need to sleep a lot because they need to process all that information and that they can do that through dreams that's one of the theories Okay, so that would be evidence for, or that would support the activation synthesis one. Yeah. Okay. That babies, like, they have so, so much, like, if I'm correct, babies don't start off, like, with full vision. First, they see in black and white, very blurry, and then they start seeing a few colors at a time. And it's not until one year or maybe even two years I don't think I don't think it takes that long, but just it takes time for them to be able to see the full visible spectrum. Okay. Um, it's like in terms of activation synthesis and Freud, the, those two those two theories are quite uh, different in in the sense that activation synthesis doesn't attach any meaning to dreams, right? Right. It's just a you. It's just a byproduct of our brain processes that are working while we sleep. And uh, in terms of scientific evidence, uh, I believe it's it's garnered a bit more support than Freudian theory. Right. But it still can't explain content. Right. That why why do we dream the things that we do? Okay, I have. A potential explanation for this one that I saw. One is that as a side effect, our brain tries to make sense of this garbled information by making a story out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe something about us being 
pattern-recognizing animals mm -hmm. makes us... It just compels us to make this information into something that makes more sense to us so that it's mm -hmm. more digestible. I read one time that... Um... Well, I don't know. Uh, it's when we, let's say we drink something, right? Or we eat something. When we eat it or we drink it, certain neurons in our brain uh, fire in certain patterns in order to attach meaning or a definition to what that thing is. So the taste, the smell, etc. And when we remember that, it's essentially just our neurons trying to recreate that same pattern, which is why when you go so long without uh, doing a certain thing, you start to forget how it, how it works or what it actually looks like or what it tastes like. Okay. So I think one, another explanation about making sense of the things is that when we dream our, brain takes those patterns of neurons through uh, what it remembers most most uh, most obviously it's through whatever happened that day right because that's what those memories are what's most fresh in our brain yeah. so that could be a potential explanation for activation synthesis is that it's not the meaning of the brain firing is not essentially meaningless that our dreams aren't essentially meaningless to the point where it's just arbitrary firing of brain processes but it actually does have some sort of context to it okay yeah i didn't say they're arbitrary i mentioned that it was sorting of the day's memories right i mean uh, I, I know you didn't say it was arbitrary but it is something that i've read that dreams it has are a different name for the arbitrary one or it might be that activation synthesis is the arbitrary one and then there's another one for the it's memory sorting hmm. by arbitrary are you ref are you referring to what exactly are you referring to arbitrary uh, as in just random brain processes that just fire they're meaningless patterns Okay, yeah, that's what I thought, because there's so many dreams that have, there's, there was no possible way that they could have been influenced by the day, if that is the theory that we're going off of. Like, I'm, I'm sure we've all had dreams where just some really crazy stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, like, the activation synthesis theory, I don't think that covers those dreams, because it's saying that we're processing what we went through throughout the day, but it's the no, stuff no, that no, no, no. That 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 that's not what it says. That that's just like my personal explanation for why that it's a potential explanation for why that could be. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is that arbitrary is meaning that the dreams are they uh, they it's just, it, the arbitrary is referring to the random dreams, is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, according to activation synthesis, that our dreams are often, like, especially those crazy dreams that you had, those dreams that are uh, completely cut off from reality, yeah. they happen because those higher cognitive areas of our brain are trying to interpret signals of the 
activity going on through the brain and it and because that activity is just meaningless patterns it takes that and tries to make sense of it which results in those crazy dreams okay so it's like a loop kind of i suppose i see but the thing is the question to be asked is that if dreams are these efforts by the brain to try to interpret meaningless signals, what determines that it interprets them one way or the other? So that's not something that's inherently explained by activation synthesis. Uh, Can you reiterate that last part? So if we take activation synthesis theory to be true, and our dreams are just our brain trying to make sense of random, meaningless patterns of brain processes firing in our brain. And it just takes all that jumbled up meaningless patterns and it interprets them into a dream. Why does it interpret it that specific way and not another way? So what determines that? Or is that also just random? So that's, that's not something that's inherently explained by activation synthesis. Mm, okay, I see. I mean, personally, I can see how it works. Just because, like, the neurons in your brain fire a certain way when they're trying to move all the information and stuff. Because, like, um, I don't know if this ties into the same theory, but um, isn't there um, an idea that uh, just organizing information alone is why you dream? And that it's more of a byproduct. Like right. That I believe that. Yeah, oh, I believe. I believe that is activation synthesis, right, Alex? I'm just gonna make sure real quick. Yeah, the, this the, is a good thing to confirm. <laughs> the by, the byproduct idea. I'm pretty sure that is. One second. Yeah, because we're analyzing what happened throughout the day or the byproduct, uh, byproducts of like neural connections. That's what, that, that, that's the theory. Yeah. And then, okay, so I remember there was something we mentioned earlier about Freud, the Freudian theory with latent and manifest destiny. So I'm just clarifying. Manifest it's is... Not destiny. Or my bad. No. <laughs> not, not, it's manifest. not man. Yeah, it's definitely not manifest. Manifest and latent content. <laughs> this is dreams, not American imperialist culture. <laughs> yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. So manifest is what occurs in the dream, and latent is what it means. Correct. Yeah, manifest yeah, is the okay. surface level. So what I'm thinking is that perhaps like manifest. The manifest content of the dream could be the byproduct of that we've described in the activation synthesis theory, but the latent content, like that's all just dream interpretation, isn't it? Like that's just what we think our dream means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not really something that you can quantify. Yeah. Because Proof. everybody's interpretation is going to be different. Yeah. There are some common themes, like being late for a test and not being prepared or running from somebody and not being able to scream and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's supposedly that's connected to fear of failure. 
but yeah. other dreams that aren't that like they aren't common mm-hmm. it's kind of you can interpret them however you want mm-hmm. yeah like dreams where a dream, dreams that are completely random and make no sense after you wake up like just because you saw a certain object in that dream doesn't necessarily mean that it represents something right it could just be there for the sake of being there not everything has to have the meaning yeah i mean the thing is freud believed that all dreams did have some sort of meaning because his idea of dreams was that dreaming is a way for humans to uh, make sense of their unconscious desires so going by that every single dream has a meaning no matter how strange or uh, weird it seems yeah and activation synthesis says completely the opposite that it doesn't matter uh whether the dream definitely does make sense that it, it's it was essentially just a random interpretation of random processes yeah so when I was reading, right, I saw the first thing that came up when I looked up dream theories was there were three main theories. So there was the Freudian one, the activation synthesis. Uh, Alex, do you know what the third one is? Um, is it the threat simulation one? I think so. Could you go into that? Yeah. This one says that dreaming is an evolutionary defense mechanism that would simulate potential threatening events so that we're better prepared. Right, I've heard that too. So, I have trouble finding out how that connects to certain dreams at all. Hmm. Like, nice ones where there isn't really any stress that you remember, it doesn't feel like there's anything, really. Right. Yeah, like, not every dream is stressful. Some are pleasant. Right. The ones that are stressful, though, like, for example, uh, the one where you mentioned earlier where you're running from something and you can't scream, like, that one would make sense for this theory, whereas where, like, you're preparing for an event in which you find yourself in that situation. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that there's so many variables in those kind of dreams and sometimes what you're running from just might not even make sense or it's just completely like out of touch with reality right there's also something that might be important to consider for all of these is that we usually have i think it's somewhere in between like six and eight dreams every day and we don't remember most of them yeah, I, I read that, that dreams don't take that long. Like, they only take, like, seven to ten minutes in a cycle. But we have multiple. And say we remember the most interesting ones. Okay. Um, the, the threat simulation theory has a... Have, there's a, a pretty interesting phenomenon about that. There was a study done about the threat simulation theory is that there was a hypothesis. The hypothesis was tested where uh, 
a group of researchers that were doing research into the dream theory. They took three groups of children where ranged from severely traumatized to less traumatized to ordinary, not traumatized at all children. And the results found that the children that were the most traumatized in their real life reported the highest number of dreams that included threatening events. So the, the, the thing is, we don't know whether that, whether the dreams occurred because they were experiencing trauma in real life and that was just their brain's interpretation of it or whether that was the brain's way of trying to prepare them for it. So we, we there's really not a way of knowing that because uh, if we're to take just norm, uh, normal children in general, people who aren't traumatized at all still do report dreams like this and if we go by the threat simulation theory, children who, or anybody who encounters uh, a large number of conflict or a large, a large amount of trauma should report a higher number in, of dreams in which they encounter trauma, which seems to be the case when we look at the children theory. But again, there's no way of knowing whether those dreams are happening because of the defense mechanism idea or whether it was because of uh, this idea that dreams are a way of trying to interpret what's happening in our right life. So I have an idea that might be interesting for this. Mm-hmm. Maybe... um. when you aren't experiencing trauma or when it's when your brain measures it as less important then you dream about random stuff mm-hmm. or may, maybe wish fulfillment relating stuff mm-hmm. but when you're maybe when your brain measures this trauma and decides that it's important enough mm-hmm. then you start having these threat simulation things so maybe it's a combination of multiple theories. Hmm. No, uh, like I like that because I don't think like most of these theories overlap necessarily. Like, um, obviously, uh, the one about threat simulation, like the idea is a hundred percent that you're only trying to prepare for any possible thing to come up. But, like, it could be just that, like, a few of them just happen to be of that type. Like, maybe their dreams have multiple purposes and we're just, like, pinpointing ones without really thinking about the nuance. Okay. Do we have anything else for theories? We can move on to lucid dreaming stuff. I think that's pretty much it on my end. I was going to say that I was going to mention something about the threat. Do you guys ever have like external inputs, like things that are happening in real life 
while you're sleeping affect your dreams how do you mean like for me for example when i on days when i set an alarm sometimes my alarm will find a way to work itself into my dream and in the dream i'll hear it and i'll say oh okay it's time to wake up but right i'm uh, other times where it's like you know you're sleeping and you're completely you're in a dream state but you're still overhearing a conversation that your parents are having right so just inputs like that that like are in real life do they affect your guys's dreams too yeah i mean that's happened to me before where i've set an alarm and it sort of just plays in the background of when i'm sleeping and i don't really realize it Hmm. and the opposite has happened too where I've tried to wake up and the aftermath of my dream is still in my head. So I'm sort of half asleep, half awake. And my real life, it sort of uh, gets powered over by the dream, which Mm -hmm. is coincidentally how sleep process also happens. But it's not really sleep process. It's just that moment where you're confused between whether you're actually waking whether you're actually awake or not uh alex you have something to say yeah for the external stimuli on dreaming i think in this uh the book why we sleep it mentions something about in a study people were sprayed in the face with water while they Mm -hmm. were dreaming and then Mm -hmm. When they were asked to recall the dream, they remembered something specific to that, like maybe a waterfall or a fountain or something like that, relating to that external feeling. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, and the reason why I brought this up was because it reminds me of the the threat theory that we work we work these kind of we work these inputs into our dreams because like not only is it preparing us for the future but it's also like kind of a warning ahead of time just saying yeah this could happen i think it's also uh, a pretty uh, it's pretty interesting because it shows that our brain is aware of what's happening around us as well as inside our minds when we're dreaming yeah like it's a lot of the a lot of people they think that when you sleep your body shuts down right and you're mm-hmm. uh but that's not true your mind is still working it needs to keep you breathing unconsciously it needs you to it keeps you doing a bunch of these processes that you need to survive and it's still thinking mm-hmm. right. and I mean, that's I, why that's why you're able to actually wake up right i mean it's just the muscles that are paralyzed you know yeah and Except think, your eyes. Yeah. True. Yeah. And you mentioned with sleep paralysis, it's like your brain, no, your body is not awake, like awake in the sense that by your your mind is awake in the sense like your body should be awake too. It's in a different state where it's ready to control your muscles again, mm-hmm. but your muscles are still paralyzed. Right. But that's one of the kind of that's kind of like the the misnomer is where your brain is never actually asleep it's just in a different state like Mm -hmm. right 
Yeah. So when I say awake, I don't mean you. You guys get it, right? Uh, Alex, I have a, uh, I, this is a question for all of you because I I don't actually know why, but in sleep paralysis, most people report saying nightmare stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, because like you don't, um, you don't, you, I don't think I've ever heard of somebody who is was was recounting their tale of sleep paralysis and they remember a happy memory. It's always uh, along the lines of uh, I see a ghost or something like that, something very scary. Which yeah. is interesting because, regardless of the dream, people seem to report seeing nightmarish stuff. Yeah. So it seems that even if the dream isn't necessarily a nightmare, during sleep paralysis, you still see stuff from nightmares, which I I honestly don't know why that happens. It's one of the things is that sleep paralysis generally is caused by a stress response Mm -hmm. that I'll use my example the last time that I had sleep paralysis was like the last quarter for university. I was, it was, I had to uh, complete one of my programs and it was Mm -hmm. due the next day. And I went to sleep that night and I was really stressed out because this was a big program. We were delving into uh, facial recognition. Mm -hmm. So, and I was very overwhelmed. So I went to sleep and I just remember like in my dream, like it was an ordinary dream. I was just, I was playing Halo and out of nowhere, I just feel a fear, I feel fear after seeing like one, one enemy. And then from there, I just started to, the, the fear looped on itself and amplified essentially mm-hmm. until I woke up. And when I say woke up, I mean, my brain woke up, my body was still paralyzed. I remember I could feel the drool mm-hmm. that was trapped in my mouth and I couldn't open my mouth or move my arms. And I think sleep paralysis does have the connotation of, nightmarish uh experiences because we are literally you're literally trapped in your own body and that's amplified by the fact that you just had kind of uh, a a scary dream and so it's it's definitely like a feedback response i think and that was all this was all like on top of the fact that i had a final the next day that i was stressed for Mm-hmm. So, that's my that's my take on sleep paralysis. And there was, like you would say, like they reported a ghost or a demon or something in there. In there, right? I didn't see one, but I did hear like a voice. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember most of what it said, but it was just a really deep, scary voice. And again, I think that's a feedback uh that that's a yeah that's a feedback loop of me being in that situation but 
Yeah, your mind just your mind the reason we fear stuff is so we can stay alive it's an evolutionary thing right it's not like our mind is actually actively trying to torture us Mm -hmm. alex um you want to say something about sleep paralysis yeah so in my experience i've had sleep paralysis like four times it's not Three out of four times, it was scary. But once, it was literally like I couldn't move, and behind me, it sounded like somebody was flipping a ton of papers. So I think it's interesting to point out that maybe it's not always scary. It's just, you know, when we sleep, I'm pretty sure that for the five minutes that that we're falling asleep and the five minutes when we wake up we don't remember that's why people with sleep apnea don't remember it happening Mm -hmm. yeah can you define maybe what sleep apnea is um not to diverge too much but it's when people wake up while they're sleeping abruptly because they're choking if i recall correctly it's basically where you're you bit, you stop breathing essentially during yeah. sleep. Yeah, for like short periods of time. And it's really common diabetics and pre-diabetics. Yeah. And in uh over, overweight and obese people. A common symptom is snoring. A lot of people who snore loudly is a fairly common sign of sleep apnea. Yeah. It's like blocked airway. Right. So what I was going with with that is um, maybe we only remember those five minutes of sleep paralysis when it's actually really scary. Mm-hmm. And, mm. you know, reportedly people can actually, if you know what you're doing and you realize you're in sleep paralysis, you can switch it over to like a lucid dream. I, yeah, yeah. So just the big thing is, like, negativity bias on sleep paralysis might be why there's such a big rumor as to why it's always scary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We we can talk about switching, but switching over to lucid dreaming. But uh, let's talk about lucid dreaming first, because it's on topic. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, somebody want to define it then? Well, uh, my definition of lucid dreaming is a dream where you realize that you are dreaming. And so therefore you sort of take control of the dream. Right. It's, it's like conscious awareness. Yeah. It's essentially just breaking the fourth wall in the dream. Yeah, and the thing about lucid dreaming is that it has a it has a huge effect on the way that your dream turns out. Like the dream will change once you realize that once you become lucid, once you realize that you are in a dream. Because for some people it means that they are able to control what's going on in the dream. For some people it's just uh 
they are no longer if it, if they were in a nightmare for example then they are no longer afraid and so they're able to make the best of the situation mm-hmm. so i thought it might be interesting to bring up before we talk about techniques and stuff so lucid dreaming isn't like other types of dreaming right where it's we're conscious and we kind of input and change the dream however we see fit Mm -hmm. do you guys think that that would change the benefits of like sleeping normally because it's not just our brain doing what it does it's a conscious interference kind of Could you rephrase that? I kind of lost you. Okay. So when we're not lucid dreaming, our brain's kind of on autopilot, right? Yeah. So when we are lucid dreaming and we're not on autopilot and there's this conscious influence and we remember it, do you guys think that that would have a different effect? Like it's changing the natural course of dream production, I guess. So maybe that could have some adverse effects on how efficient it is with this, if this process is actually the result of encoding and decoding stuff like that. Okay, so if it was like activation synthesis theory, if that's what we're working off of, how would lucid dreaming affect that? I think... Yeah. It would definitely, like, as far as adverse effects goes, the only thing I can really think of is if your brain is in the process of, you know, automatically processing something that happens throughout the day, and you seize control while it's doing that, and you change it from that into something else, then it's going to leave that process unfinished. It's I'm, I'm thinking about it from, like, a a data sort of uh, right. perspective because that's how that's my field but it's leaving the process loading. unfinished yeah it wasn't done or it wasn't loading so but i mean i don't i haven't really heard of any anyone really suffering because of that like you don't you don't see people saying that they were in something happened to them negatively when they were awake because they were lucid dreaming the night before. Um, another thing about um, when we're talking about adverse effects is that lucid dreaming can be, it can be uh, hard for the individual to reorient after waking up after um coming from a lucid dream okay that i agree with because um uh the real obvious reason is that if you're aware that you're dreaming and why you're dreaming after you wake up because you're a lucid dreaming in which you are aware 
and you had control over that reality, when you wake up, it's sort of a, a pretty radical switch, right? Yeah. And another thing that I feel, another thing that I've researched on about lucid dreaming as opposed to non-lucid dreaming is that lucid dreaming, when individual lucid dream, it's reported that there's an increase of 40 hertz of activity in the frontal cortex as opposed to non-lucid dream sleep. Interesting. So which so that could also be um, a factor in which why lucid dreaming can make it hard for individuals to reorient after waking up. Hmm. That would be kind of the scientific way of saying it, but my reasoning was for agreeing was that in a situation where you have all the power, right? You're controlling the environment around you mm-hmm. and waking up and going back into a reality where that's not true. That's, I understand that's how you would need to reorient because your brain is operating differently in that situation. It needs to readjust back mm-hmm. to uh, real life. Um, another interesting thing about that is that, like I said, the 40 Hertz activity, right? So, uh, fun fact is that another 40 Hertz of another 40 Hertz wave is also, uh, a gamma wave. So that's, um, what, so that's like binaural beats and stuff. So and, 80, wait, so you mean 80 hertz more than from non-lucid dreaming? No, 40 hertz more. Yeah, you're saying 40 hertz on top of those 40? Or just 40 flat? I mean, lucid dreaming is an increase of 40. I'm not, yeah, sure, what, in- I'm not sure what the base is, though. Okay. Uh, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it varies based on dreams. Okay, but continue on gamma. Um, so gamma waves are like binaural beats and stuff. The thing um, we read about in terms of meditation. And gamma waves are also uh, believed to increase metacognition and conscious perception. So I, I just thought that was an interesting little, um, interesting little trivia because the brainwave the eeg recordings from brainwaves in terms of lucid dreaming is showing a 40 hertz increase and the 40 hertz is also similar to is also the gamma wave which is uh, associated with metacognition okay so might that be to say you're more aware while you're lucid dreaming i mean obviously right but close how close would it be to if i understand correctly REM sleep is already pretty much the same activity level as being wakeful right would lucid dreaming be like above that um so yeah, it says uh, lucid dreaming is associated with an increased 40 hertz activity in frontal cortex compared to non-lucid REM sleep. 
Okay. So if non-lucid REM sleep is the same is about the same brainwave activity as when you're awake, is that what you said? Yeah. So that means that when you're lucid dreaming, that's a 40 hertz increase. Okay. And you mentioned that it's similar to how your brainwave is when you're meditating, right? Uh, when you're listening to binaural beats. So binaural beats is a, a gamma wave. I see. Which which is like associated with meditation. So okay. ga- just the gamma wave in general is... Uh, it's associated with a uh, metacognition. I see. Okay. And some people say that God's frequency is also 40 hertz. So. I thought it was 42. That's the answer that's, to uh, the universe. Yeah, that's Douglas Adams. <laughs> but um, moving off of that maybe we could talk about some benefits that people could get from lucid dreaming and then talk about techniques and then we can move to our own personal experience i guess to wrap it up okay i did want to mention though uh we didn't get to go back to sleep paralysis but if you think about it right sleep paralysis is when the brain is awake but the body is not and lucid dreaming is the same thing Almost. I Where the brain is awake and it's conscious of what's going on in the dream. But the body has still not woken yet. So I think that the, those two are kind of sides of the same coin. And that's why, like you said, people have been able to switch over from sleep paralysis into lucid dreaming. And I was going to mention that I thought I did that back when I was describing my my experience with sleep paralysis. But it was hard to say because at that point, once the voice had left, my body was in the process of waking up. So it was very faint. But I do understand that um, situation. I, can, I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, it's like backed up by neuroscience. Okay, so maybe like the difference between sleep paralysis and lucid dreaming seems to be just, to me, it seems like our occipital lobe is more active in sleep paralysis, like we can actually see with our eyes. Yeah, like you still get inputs, like you see stuff, right? Yeah. Whereas lucid dreaming, you're still in the dream world. So maybe that's... Obviously, that's not the only thing that's different, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's interesting to see how that transition works, like parts yeah. of the brain activating. Yeah, and people see that, that people see the ghosts when they're in sleep paralysis, or they see something in the corner. Maybe that is also in a part of a dream. Like you, you're dreaming... Maybe you're dreaming what your environment looks like, but to you it feels like you're you've woken up and you can't move. Okay. In my experience, it feels like during sleep paralysis, some things are definitely off. Like I'll look out my window 
and there will be a different car there or something. Mm-hmm. Or the driveway looks different, but my bedroom's the same. Yeah. So it's it's hard to draw the line between hallucination and dream, right? Yeah. Like once it's at the point where it's feels like it's mostly your eyes, I feel like it falls into hallucination. Yeah. Though I feel like hallucination occurs more when you stay up too long. Like after maybe two days or three days of sleep, you start to hallucinate and see things that aren't there. I know that's definitely happened to me. Three days of sleep? Yeah. Like not sleeping or sleeping? Not sleeping. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Do we have... Do you guys know, like, the scientific explanation for that? Like, for the hallucinations? For... After not sleeping for three days? Yeah. I... I didn't look into it, but I always thought that it was just because... Uh, like you said, we have these dreams where wacky stuff happens and our brain is, pro- it's like this time that's been set aside for our brain to process all of that. Right. But because we haven't slept, it's, we are, the brain is doing that process as well on top of us, on top of keeping us awake. Yeah. Or maybe so- it's like... So what we would normally see in our dream, if we were dreaming, is what we see in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's almost like you're having like micro-sleeps. As yeah, well. almost. Okay. I think it might be... A... So when you're not sleeping for three days, you're kind of psychotic. Yeah. And I'm guessing your, your brain would have trouble balancing input and guesses because you know how when you look you don't see your nose because your brain like cuts it out except me because my nose is so big so (laughs) like you'll see something in the corner of your eye sometimes and then it's not actually anything it's trying to merge these two images with assumptions so maybe after three days the assumptions are hard to distinguish from real input Mm -hmm. yeah i understand that i know that there's a ton of i don't know the exact i can't think of some off the top of my head but i know that there are situations where our brains definitely fill in the gaps like we don't remember every single detail of what we see every day for example if you're walking down the street and you weren't really thinking about much you wouldn't you wouldn't really be paying attention to too many details like you know like just signs that you see or people that you see you don't remember that too much because it's not important and so when you bring up those gaps that's those gaps in memory then that's when the brain starts to make guesses like oh this is what i remember okay the stuff I was referring to is kind of real time with the hallucinations. Right. Okay. But maybe it is similar. So. It's a similar concept, yeah. What are some benefits that you guys can see? I have a few that I can share. 
for lucid dreaming? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ethan, if you were able to lucid dream, what do you think would be one of the definite benefits of it? Oh, God, that's hard. You Like, I have... I get pretty decent sleep apnea, so I haven't dreamed or remembered one in a long time. But I think... If I were to lucid dream, I think it'd be a good form of, like, therapy, honestly. Because... Um, yeah, definitely. You know how, like, uh, you're told to, like, imagine something from your past to, like, try to rewrite it? It's, like, that type of idea. Because you can literally do that in a dream and it feels very real. Mm, yeah, definitely. My answer was going to be something similar along the lines of productivity. Uh, I know I keep coming back to it, but it's because it's my most recent experience and I see that's relevant for every single thing that we've talked about. In those last few minutes where I was starting to wake up after I had switched over to lucid dreaming, I was just like, okay, what do I do? And I couldn't think of anything anything interesting to do at least. And so I was just like, okay, well then I guess I'll just start writing some code in my mind. So that's what I did. I actually thought of, I, I dreamt pseudocode for my program. And when I woke up, I got up and scrawled it down on my computer to use for my program uh, the next day. So I definitely think that there are some, definitely some productive uh, implications of lucid dreaming and being able to work more in your sleep and accomplish things that you wouldn't normally have time for. And there was one study that I actually did look into that if you dream that you're exercising, it's not more beneficial it's it's less beneficial than actually exercising of course but it's more beneficial than not dreaming of exercising like just having normal dreams like people actually would people actually would see that their muscles were um i mean they weren't physically being torn apart and um rebuilt but they were kind of set they were kind of more tense as if they had actually worked out. I can find the study. Because when you're dreaming, like, I think it's just a hypothesis, but I might have read a study before where if you practice motor skills while you're lucid dreaming, then supposedly you'll get better at them when you wake up. Right? So you're you can tr probably train balance and stuff like that, if that's true. But I don't know if physically changing the muscles makes sense. Like, inducing hypertrophy. I was trying to describe what I read. And I know it doesn't make the most sense, because, again, you're not physically tearing down your muscle uh, tissue and it's not being rebuilt you're imagining that it is but i do understand the i do say that what you said about 
those movements that you do would become easier because your brain is kind of pre-wiring them. Is that, that's what you meant, right? I mean, like, it's kind of adding to the muscle memory. Yeah, the- I, I think that's what it was actually. Like, it, I think it was athletes like imagining that they were doing the actual yeah. activity and it like mentally prepared them. I'm reading a synopsis and it says that the neural pathways in your brain that are engaged when you run while lucid dreaming are strengthened. Like it's not just visualized or imagined. It's actually strengthened because mm-hmm. you're building that, um, that neur- neural pathway. Uh. Um, I actually read a, uh, read about a study. It wasn't in regards to lucid dreaming or dreaming, but it's, it, um, it has to do with this topic where they took three groups of people and they had the first group, uh, work out and lift weights for about six weeks. And they had the second group instead of actually working out, they would meditate and imagine that they would, that they were working out in their mind, like really imagine like they were actually lifting their weights and uh, actually tensing up their muscles. And the third group did nothing at all. And what they found was that after six weeks, the second group, obviously the first group had uh, hypertrophy, but they actually found the second group that would imagine themselves lifting weights had more hypertrophy than the group that did nothing. Wow. Okay. I have to see that study. That's pretty awesome. That's insane. Yeah. That's very similar to what I was referring to with the lucid dreaming study. It's the same concept, I believe. Yeah. I mean, it obviously wasn't as much hypertrophy as like the group that actually worked out, but I thought you, you did I hear it incorrectly? I thought you said they gained more. No, they gained no, they more didn't. than the group that did nothing. Okay. They did more than the control. So they they gained a fraction of people that actually worked out. But still, that's a pretty phenomenal thing. Yeah, I agree. That's it's definitely just the implications of that and what you can do when you just imagine like your brain is so powerful, man. I mean, it, it comes down to the idea of mind over like the mind body connection Yeah. and how uh, there've been studies done with uh, people who have split personality disorder and how their body changes physiologically when they change personalities, like how one personality might have, high cholesterol levels and the other one might not and how their body changes physiologically in response to that. And when one personality takes over their cholesterol levels rise, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. It reminds me of glass <laughs> or yeah. not a uh, split in glass. A split. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. So since we're getting close to an hour now, I think, exercises would be good so i've got a bunch but i don't know if you if you guys have any well exercises for inducing lucid dreaming right yeah 
Mm, there are a few that I could. There are a few that I could uh, contribute. One of them is definitely keeping a dream journal. I did that for a while, and to some degree, I still like to write down dreams that I think are interesting, but not every single dream because that's exhausting. Waking up every day and just writing. But if you want to lucid dream more, then definitely keep a journal because then you'll be able to keep track of patterns in your dreams, and you can see what happens in your dreams to make sure that you、uh, can identify it again when you dream the next time.、Um, there was another method I saw where you. Things in dreams are not constant. Like it has happened many times where you'll read a piece of paper, or look at your watch, and it will say something different than when you did it five minutes ago in the dream. So things are not constant in dreams. So there's one suggestion that I saw was you draw an X on your hands, and. When you dream, try to physically look at your hands and see if that X is there. And if it's not there, then you're dreaming. The only problem with that is whenever I dream, I have literally no clue about what I did before when I was awake.、Mm-hmm. So I would I I wouldn't remember that I drew an X on my hand. Yeah. That and also, like, who wants to look at their hands when there's so much going on in the environment? Right. Oh, I found the, I found the study by the way, Alex. It was a、uh, published in the not to detract too much, but I just found out that I mentioned. But it was it was published in the Journal of Neurophysiology, and they took a group that where they would imagine themselves exercising, and at the end of the at the end of the、uh, four weeks, the Participants who engaged in the exercises mentally were two times as strong physically as the group that did nothing. And、True. they also、uh, and they also found that their brain also got stronger because it created stronger、uh, neural neuromuscular pathways. Okay. And the third thing that they found was that imagining themselves exercising. It led to、uh, a decrease in muscle atrophy. So if we t- like、uh, for four weeks, if you did nothing, as opposed to imagining yourself exercising, that would lead to less muscle decay than if you were to do nothing. And it's a pretty interesting thing because it can help people that physically can't exercise, or if. Yeah,、uh, they can't exercise because of age, or they're they're、uh, they have muscle atrophy because of age, and I just thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah, that's for people that have disability and stuff. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Anyway, back to techniques. Okay, so I would file the. The X on your hands thing underneath reality checks, right? And you know, reality checks—it's kind of self-explanatory. Like you make sure that you're in reality.、Mm-hmm. And one thing 
so Akashi said, like, you don't remember mm-hmm. what you were doing before. Right. One thing about that is there, there's a few ways to combat that, supposedly. So one thing is if you make reality checks a habit enough, then you'll do them while you're sleeping. Hmm. Right. Like if you do like five a day, every day without messing up once, or I mean, at least making the habit of doing reality checks, Hmm. then you're much more likely to self-induce lucid dream while it's happening. Hmm. Um, Another thing with remembering would be mnemonic induced lucid dreaming, which is called mild where your brain is suggestible and you say something like, okay, I'm going to remember this dream when it happens today. Mm-hmm. So you're more likely to do it. I don't know about... That one sounds kind of off. Like, to me at least, it's just... It, it does sound pretty weird. It, you say that you're going to do it and then it happens? Yeah, I've heard about that too. It's, it's similar like... to... It's similar to when, like, before you go to sleep, you tell yourself you're going to wake up at a certain time and you just do without the help of an alarm clock. Hmm. It's like, if you tell yourself something enough, then your brain starts to believe it. Hmm. And then uh, I I would need to look more into the actual scientific rigor of it, but... I can say that in um, certain, like I have a gratitude journal and they reference a few things like while you're in the shower, you should tell yourself how did you, or like that today's going to be a good day and stuff like that. So that boosts your mood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that I can, I can verify that saying some things out loud, even when you're alone does help you remember. Like, for example, uh, I saw this life hack once a while back. It said that if you don't want to forget where things are in your house, like your keys or your phone, when you put it in an unusual location, like away from, for me, it would be out of my room, like leaving it on some table. I, you have to like physically, you have to, you have to actually say out loud, my keys are on the, on the dining table. And your your brain is more likely to remember that because you established that neural connection. Yeah, and it's because the neural co- connection through speaking is a lot stronger than just thinking it. Agreed. That's why that's why uh, we they people like encourage taking notes. It's not necessarily for you to not always. It's not always for you to just look back. Mm-hmm. It's more for it's it's stronger for setting up that. Uh, connection mm-hmm. okay so it's a few more so there's wake back to bed which is it takes advantage of how the longer you sleep after more sleep cycles we'll get into that in episode nine more of your sleep time is allocated to REM sleep so in the first few, it's more NREM3. And then as you get further into the night, after doing a few more cycles, it's more REM sleep. So when you 
wake up, say, like, six hours after you go to sleep, and then try to wake your conscious mind up, and then go back to sleep, and then try one of the other methods, it's a lot more likely that you'll be able to have the lucid dream. So that in combination with this other one called wake-induced lucid dreaming, which is from what I understand, it's where you kind of stay almost perfectly still until like when you close your eyes, there's a hypnagogic, like I forgot the word, but it's hypnagogic jerk. Yeah. Well, it's not a jerk. It's called a hypnagogic hallucination where there's like a shape behind your eyes and then you know that you're like on the cusp Hmm. Hmm. so those are the five that i really looked into or that i've had any success with i've done wild once wake back to bed maybe like twice and since I've been meditating more, it's kind of like a reality check, and I've gotten a little bit more success. But it's hard to really measure that since they're kind of spread out. I feel like for wild and wake back to beg bed, you definitely have to be doing it every night and not just once or twice. Or by once or twice, did you mean that you did it for a period of time? Um, I did it for... Wake back to bed's pretty easy. But, like, I guess I did it for a period of time. Okay, because when you said once or twice, I thought you meant you only did it, like, one uh, night. I mean, it successfully worked once or twice. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I thought you said you tried it once or twice, and you just, uh, you didn't, yeah, yeah. nothing happened. No. Okay. Well, that's, it's a lot more comfort, that affirmative. Since we're, um, we've covered kind of everything except there's one benefit I wanted to mention, which is like overcoming nightmares. Like Ethan mentioned, the therapeutic events or, or the therapeutic effects, right? Yeah. Except if you have recurring nightmares as a result of PTSD and stuff like that, then. Having a lucid dream where you have all the power and you reaffirm yourself, you can face this like demon that's troubling you while you're sleeping, mm-hmm. in theory. Yeah. And then maybe that would soothe the, the symptoms. Yeah, that's definitely an application of, of it. It's... But... Yeah, it's when typically when you're lucid dreaming, you would want to like if for people where it doesn't happen very often, they want to allocate that to other things that would be more fun. But I think it's definitely a good idea to start actively trying to get it not every day, but frequently enough so that you can reap these benefits. Yeah since we're kind of we're an hour 11 how about one dream each that we think is cool and then we'll wrap it up Mm. not me first 
Okay. I say I cost first. I honestly don't uh, have any dream like off the top of my head. Okay. Um, any lucid dream experience? Since that's what we just stemmed off of. I had one lucid dream experience where I realized. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, uh, I'll just tell you about the dream I had like a few days ago, where I started lucid dreaming. The one where we were filming this exact episode, and my mic grew a mouth and started talking. And he said, uh, he was speaking in that iconic Kevin Hart voice. And he's like, these guys don't know anything about dreaming. And he's like, oh, look at this guy. His mic just grew a mouth and started talking. And he still doesn't realize he's in the dream. And that's when I realized I was dreaming. And it sort of transitioned into a, a lucid dream after that. But I woke up soon after. That's when your dreams become self-aware. That's, yeah, that's... I... When, you're, when your mind is telling you that you're in a dream. Yeah. I do have something similar to that, which I think is also really funny. It's... I was in class. Not in university. I was back in high school. And the whiteboard said you were in a dream. My watch said that it was dream o'clock. And when I was walking down the hallway, people were mentioning, hey, look at that guy, he's in a dream. And I just couldn't pick it up at all. I just kept on going through the entire day while I was, while I was dreaming. And then the funny thing is that I was actually, I was at school when I was sleeping and having this dream. I was in my open period. Hmm. And I wake up and I'm like, Oh my god. I have to go through school again. I already went through it once today. Traumatizing. Yeah. Okay. And the worst part was I actually did work. Like yeah. it wasn't me messing around in class. I was actually just doing work for an hour for each class. When your own brain conspires to traumatize you. <laughs> for real. And this is all like fifteen minutes of rum. Exactly. Time flies on your dreaming, dude. I've had dreams that take place over the course of a week, but it's all seven. It's all like ten minutes. Okay. A week. All right. It's a coma. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, I want to bring up something, but let's uh, hear your guys' dreams first. Uh, I'll go because mine is really brief. So. I don't know why I remember this one, but I think it's just because right after it happened, I woke up and I like went down to tell my mom. This was back when I was like seven. So like, I don't know why I did this, but like, I have a two-story house and I went up the stairs and I just like went off the balcony of the second story and like I fell down head first. And then I just woke up like the moment I hit the ground and I, I got, I just got really confused. And like, I don't know what my initial reaction was, but I know I wasn't comfortable. Like it was, it was weird for sure. Hmm. All right, Alex, you want to give us the last one? Uh, 
I'm trying to think one that actually has some meaning at all. And I'm like looking back at my notes right now from like when I record what I dream and it actually makes no sense at all. No, I, I know what you mean exactly. <laughs> Hold on, here's an example. Traveled through a building to get somewhere with a gang of a few people. Took everybody's lunch and got Dennis fired. Then I fixed it. Wh I'm actually stupid. My first point to turn, I guess, was it was before college acceptance came in. Like, it was like a month before I wrote all this stuff, I guess. And um, I was in my bed, and it felt like I woke up, but then I look right, like down the hallway, and there's a ghost taunting me in the hallway. And it's, it wasn't scary at all, it just felt normal. And I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't real, what the hell is the ghost doing here? And I start walking forward, and I'm floating. And then I guess something ended up with me like in a blank room and then fighting a giant sandworm with Power Rangers and then it ended. That's awesome. Dad, I probably forgot like four things that happened. I think there's like a, I guess another pinball machine in my house. Black Knight. Yeah. Thousand. Yeah. The Black Knight was like there with he was like sitting at a table and we played chess or something you played chess with a drawing hmm. i played chess with the black knight <laughs> that's awesome dude what was your thing you were gonna say about um like after we said everything okay so there were three things i wanted to say but there were they're kind of disconnected and might branch into topics, if that's okay. I'll keep it brief. So one of them was that you wake up after having your dream, right? And you kind of, you're, you still think that you're in the dream even though you're awake. And so you go, to, you scramble to do whatever was in the dream or something like that, like, like, for example, my dad woke me up one time and I, I, he, I, he distinctly, like, re remembered telling me afterwards that I said some nonsense. And for me, it was, I thought it was real because I thought I was in the dream. I was like, dad, I have to, I, I have to, I have to microwave this notebook. <laughs> oh, it made no sense. And um, another time it was something like, I, I was like, all right, all right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do something else. Like I'm going to retrieve this artifact and then when I wake up, I'm going to go put it back on its pedestal. And then I wake up, there is no artifact and there is no pedestal. It's just me in my room. Like you guys ever experienced that where you you have a dream 
and it just translates into you waking up for like a few minutes. Huh. Maybe that's um. It kind of shows how. I guess. Persuadable or suggestible we are, like if we're willing to believe that this stupid stuff is real, then what about like other stuff that's closer yeah. to reality? Yeah. I think the most disheartening experience I've had with this thing is I was eating breadsticks. Like the, the dream was literally me lying in bed and I was eating breadsticks. Not And these weren't like just normal like salty breadsticks. They were garlic breadsticks. And somehow like while I was eating them, I wake up and my arm is still moving as if I was eating them, but I, the smell started to fade and I could no longer feel the breadsticks on my bed or in my mouth. It was just gone. I was chewing air and I thought I was eating breadsticks. That's horrible. That's terrible. Yeah. More breadsticks. <laughs> and garlic breadsticks too. Come on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, so that was, yeah. Right. That was, is that is that it for everyone? Yeah, that was pretty much it. <clears throat> Alex, Ethan, should be good. Where to sign off? Um, I'm ready. I've got a ending message to. Based on that suggestibility thing, maybe we should be mm-hmm. more present in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm good way to do that is through meditation definitely meditation and self-reflection an unexamined life is not worth living Socrat. inside joke all right let's sign us off oh he just, Wait, he, okay. just okay. he just disconnected okay. <laughs> thank you guys for listening to the sixth episode Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're on a bunch of other platforms, and I'll have the links in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. So thanks again for watching. We hope you have a wonderful day.